thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a guy who knew who Travis Kelsey was well before (laughs) Taylor Swift made him famous, Mike Vandebogard. (laughs) Thank you, Joe, and thank you once again to all of our amazing listeners tuning in from all over the internet, from the various places you can listen to Locations Unknown. Just a couple quick updates here before we get going. I'd like to give... Some Patreon shout-outs to Jake Davis, Elizabeth Parker, and Shannon Armstrong. Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you, guys. Um, If you want to call the show, leave us a voicemail. Anything is fair game. You can call 208-391-6913. Just remember, we may play it live on a show. So Most uh, likely we'll play it live on the show. So just keep that in mind when you're calling in. Uh, if you want to support the show monetarily, you can visit our Patreon page, sign up for exclusive Patreon-only episodes. We'll probably record something for that tonight after this. Um, we have YouTube memberships, similar as Patreon. We've got premium subscriptions on Apple. We've got stores on Facebook, our website. Um, and if you don't don't have the money to do that, at least share the show with all of your friends and family and on social media. That helps spread the word. Absolutely. So, I don't know anything from you, Joe. No, sir. All right, everybody, let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown. With over 52 million acres, The U.S. National Park System is home to some of the most breathtaking natural features on the planet. Tens of millions enjoy these parks every year. Join us this week for an installment of National Park Cold Cases as we explore Yosemite National Park. So Yosemite National Park, a.k.a. Yosemite National Park, (laughs) is 1,169 square miles. That's larger than the U.S. state of Rhode Island. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that are larger than the state of Rhode Island, if we're being fair. It's a tiny state. Yes. Uh, It's located in California. It was established October 1st, 1890 and sees roughly 3.6 million visitors per year. And this was as of 2022. We're starting to get updated numbers before COVID. That's kind of nice. 
Um, let's see here. Let's go over a little habitation history of the area. Uh, I scanned over this briefly and saw all the uh, the curveballs you threw at me. Just uh, probably fun. for that one post I posted online that got real popular, <laughs> huh? Yeah. That's what I. As soon as I read, I'm like, oh, he's getting me back. <laughs> um, we should play that video for our patrons if they didn't see it. That'd be funny. Oh yeah. So the history of people in Yosemite goes back thousands of years. American Indians traveled and used this area since the ice age glaciers receded, providing an environment for plants, animals, and people to survive. The indigenous natives of Yosemite called themselves the Awanichi, uh, meaning dwellers in Awani. The Awanichi people were the only tribe that lived within the park boundaries, but other tribes lived in surrounding areas. Together, they formed a large indigenous population in California called the Southern Sierra Miwok. It's probably like Miwok or something, but I'll, I'll keep saying Miwok because that's what I think it is. <clears throat> Sounded right. They are related to the Northern Paiute and Mono tribes. The other tribes like the Central Sierra Miwoks and the Yokuts who both lived in the San Joaquin Valley in Central California, visited Yosemite to trade and intermarry. In 1848 to 1855, California Gold Rush was a major event impacting the native population. It drew more than 90,000 European Americans to the area in less than two years, causing competition for resources between gold miners and residents. About 70 years before the gold rush, the indigenous population was estimated to be around 300,000, quickly dropping to 150,000. I almost said 1,500. That would have been huge. And just 10 years later, only about 50,000 remained. The reason for such decline, including disease, birth rate uh, decreases, starva uh, birth rate decreases, starvation, and conflicts from American Indian wars. The conflict in Yellow uh, Yosemite, I'm going to say that a lot. I'm thinking <laughs> of Yellowstone because I was just there, yeah. is known as the Marposa War. It started in December of 1850 when California funded a state militia to drive Native people from the contested territory to suppress Native American resistance to the European American influx. Yeah, so pretty brutal recent history of the area um yeah kind of in line with how native americans were treated kind of across the country at that time yeah absolutely Sad. they're um, just paying people to root them out yeah um okay i will go on you get uh, a little wine from your microphone um maybe maybe i don't know sorry we can Interesting. cut we'll cut this out i, I wonder if it'll pick it up or maybe our just headphones are on too loud or something. I don't know. That's okay. Um, so <laughs> Yosemite is a Miwok word that translates to those who kill and was a term used by the Miwok people. These are fun facts about yes. Yosemite. I got Joe all flustered there. You do? I'm like, I'm like, did I break something? <laughs> what's happening? I need to know what's going on. Uh, Yosemite Park was the U.S. government's first land area for preservation and protection. Uh, President Lincoln named Yosemite Valley and Mariposa Grove the country's first public preserve. The most luxurious hotel in Yosemite once served as a military hospital. Uh, the Horsetail Fall, compromising two streams on the east side of El, Cap El Capitan, is a unique waterfall. This waterfall is famous for reflecting the setting sun's light during spring and then illuminating it as a torrent of liquid fire. I think we've showed pictures of that on here. The yeah, firefalls. It, it looks really cool. <clears throat> so, Ribbon Fall on the west side of El Capitan in Yosemite is Capitan. the uh, El Capitan <laughs> in Yosemite is the longest single drop waterfall in North America. But you can find this flow only in spring. 
Yosemite bid for the 1932 Winter Olympics, making them the only national park to take nature spot into action. And in 2014, Yosemite National Park was one of the seven natural wonders of North America. It's pretty cool. Uh, you, That's some good facts. You weren't with us when we hiked it in, during COVID. No, I was recording oh, it that's at right. Unexplained with William Shatner. Yeah. I wanted to go. So I didn't even get to meet Shatner, so it would have been better to Shat go. Man. Um, all right. We're gonna go to into the climate. Are you laughing at me? <laughs> Not never. <laughs> so all right, I'll give people a little context here. Not only just what you said before, but before Mike even got in the studio, uh, a Windows update had gone through the computer and basically, you know, did the normal Windows update thing. And then I couldn't log in. And when I got in to a different account, none of the settings were set up. It would it would take me hours to undo this, and we would not have been able to record the episode. But luckily, yeah. we figured it out, but I'm still flustered from that whole event. <laughs> and so if Mike throws me curveballs, I'm just done for. So anyway, uh, we're going to fly on over to our friends over at the Copen Climate Classification System. Yosemite has a Mediterranean climate uh, meaning most pre- precipitation falls during the mild winter and the other seasons are nearly dry. Less than 3% of the precipitation falls during the long, hot summers. So in winter, because nearly three-quarters of the annual precipitation happens, uh, there's a ton of snow and rain. It's typically cold and damp from November to March, which is like the worst type. If it's just snow, it's fine. Yeah. If it's wet and snowy, ugh. Yeah, just gross. Yep, just gross. <laughs> the higher you go, the earlier you'll find snow and the longer it will take to melt, which means snowy peaks from September through April and even through May or June. It's not uncommon for the higher elevations to receive dozens of feet of snow throughout the winter. Now in spring, Yosemite's landscape changes dramatically as the snow begins to melt from the lower elevations to the higher elevations. In fact, sometimes trails at higher elevations aren't even accessible until July. With all the snow melt, Yosemite's famous waterfalls begin to show their power with peak flow usually happening in May. Daytime temperatures can reach into the 70s Fahrenheit and dip down below freezing after the sun sets. Uh, Summer... At lower levels in the park, summers are warm, dry, and sunny, with little rainfall that does happen coming in the form of powerful but brief afternoon thunderstorms that can produce lightning and hail. During the peak of summer, days at lower elevations can reach 100 degrees Fahrenheit before dipping down into the 50s or even 40s at night. Nights in Yosemite National Park are cherished for their clear skies and incomparable stargazing. Not when we were there. It was just choking out with... Yeah, you were just in fire. Forest fire smoke. (laughs) Well, maybe that was karma for you throwing me curveballs tonight. (laughs) At higher elevations, places such as White Wolf Lodge, uh, Tulmine Meadows, and High Sierra Camps commonly experience freezing overnight temperatures, except perhaps in July. And it's not necessarily hot during the days at these places either. Now we're going into fall. The warm days and cool or even cold nights take over as the Sierras transition to fall. September and October tend to be filled with bright, cloudless days, which make for incredible views. By fall, most of the waterfalls at Yosemite have slowed to a trickle or dried up entirely. By late fall, the snow can start falling in the park's higher elevations, a sign that winter isn't far behind. So a little bit about the terrain. It's kind of got a little bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, The landscape Yosemite National Park is a product of its unique geology resulting from glacial erosion of the underlying granite. That's what gives it that distinct El Capitan look. Yeah. 
Uh, Yosemite National Park is located within the heart of the Sierra, Nevada, Sierra Nevadas, the largest fault block mountain range in the United States. Uh, trending northwest southeast for more than 300 miles, the Sierra Nevadas traverse half the length of California with the Central Valley to the west and the Basin and Range Province to the east. It is an asymmetric mountain range with long, gentle western slope and short, steep eastern escarpment. It is 50 to 80 miles wide and extends in elevations from near sea level along the western edge to more than 13,000 feet along the crest in Yosemite area and more than 14,000 feet along the crest in Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks. The highest peak in the Sierra Nevadas and in the continental United States is 14,505-foot-tall Mount Whitney in Sequoia National Park. Mount Lyle, the highest peak in Yosemite Park, rises to 13,114 feet above sea level. So here are some of the dangers that you can run into in this park. Uh, black bear, bighorn sheep, mountain lions, and mule deer. And we just saw some terrible news about bears. Oh, uh, yeah. Which I'm, I'm still waiting Canada. to have. Yeah, I'm still right in Banff, right where I was. I was right in that area. Yeah. Uh, we only had bear spray because you can't bring guns into Canada. So I didn't have my backup. Well, and bear spray, when used correctly, the rangers have always told us is preferred over a firearm just because you create a cloud. Yes. If it's not windy, you're raining. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it's windy and you fire it and it, you know, comes back at you, you're basically just seasoning yourself. Yeah. And you can't <laughs> see what's coming. Yeah. <laughs> that would not be good. Yeah. Uh, so weather, sudden changes in weather catch many unaware. Drenching thunderstorms can form in a matter of hours and snow can fall at any time of the year. Uh, so you must be prepared for all weather conditions when you're out there, especially in the backcountry. Thunderstorms are frequent and spectacular occurrence in Yosemite's wilderness. That would actually be really cool to camp under. Like yeah, a really just not aggressive to thunderstorm. be up in the mountains, kind of be down. Yeah, you know. I don't know. If it's far away and you're in the mountains, you get a nice view. Yeah. That could be cool. <laughs> um, these summer storms often bring intense rain, hail, lightning strikes, particularly in mid to late afternoon, but can occur anytime. Plan to be over passes and away from high open areas by noon. During a storm, you want to stay away from the peaks, particularly half dome. Ridges, caves, water, and open areas. Seek shelter in low forested areas, but avoid tall, solitary trees. By setting up camp in a safe location before lightning begins, you can enjoy the power and spectacle of a mountain thunderstorm without apprehension. I can't think of a worse place in the national park system than to be on Half Dome when a thunderstorm rolls <laughs> yeah, in. I mean, it's... You are the lightning rod. Yeah, I mean, it's literally just flat granite at the top. Yeah. Like, <laughs> You're just done for. Yeah. Uh, early season snow. So even during spring and early summer, large areas of Yosemite may retain significant snow cover. After wet winters, winter conditions can exist at high elevations well into July. Uh, traveling over snow can be hazardous, and excellent navigation skills combined with a compass and proper maps are a must. Uh, with a few exceptions, trails are not marked for winter. Uh, when hiking over snow, prevent sunburn by wearing sunglasses and a long sleeve shirt, a hat, and sunscreen. You don't... Uh, I mean, we hiked over some snowy areas in the Tetons, and I didn't. I did not have the proper footwear, and it was dangerous. Yeah, I mean, did you a, need like gaiters or uh, not gaiters? Uh, uh, cramps. Uh, I just needed some spikes. Okay, nothing like, like nothing crazy. No, like something like a golfer would wear even. Would not not full on crampons. Just like yeah. what do they call like yak tracks or something like something that? like that? But it was sloped, so like I actually crossed it like basically leaning to one side with my hand on the rocks because. 
It oh, was like, you just slipping the whole it time? It was like sloped like this, yeah, and I was just slipping, and yeah. I had my pack on. Maybe if you were more prepared. <laughs> well, I didn't, ex- I didn't expect snow. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe if you were more prepared. <laughs> yeah. uh, be aware of running water under the snow or covered logs and rocks that may have formed unstable snow bridges. Falls can result in sprained ankles, broken legs, and even hypothermia in cold water. In addition, avoid travel on steep slopes. Falls may cause you to slide into rocks and talus fields, again resulting in injury or death. Uh, high water can be an issue. During spring and early summer, runoff from melting snow causes high water levels and swift currents in the rivers and streams. Uh, what do we always say when you're crossing? Remember, unbridged stream crossing can be super hazardous. Unhook yourself from big things that can get you caught like backpacks. Yes. Uh, don't go in anything that's, what do we say, ankle deep? I Deeper saw than ankle? the craziest video out of one of the parks out west, this guy in a kayak. He went over um, like a whitewater area and he came down and his kayak just, it got twisted sideways and just started like spinning him like oh. out of the water and back in and then out of the water and back in and eventually just like drowning him. Yeah. And eventually he just like went under for like a good 20 seconds and <sighs> I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, the guy, but then he popped up at the shore and like grabbed a rock. I'm like, geez, that guy must be like, I, I would need new underwear, yeah. <laughs> new swim trunks, yeah. new kayak yeah. or whatever he's in. Yeah. We don't want that. No. Um, but just, uh, always use caution, uh, especially to prevent the conditions that can lead to hypothermia. So during, or immediately following heavy rains, events, water can rise rapidly. So use extra caution in these times. <clears throat> Uh, there are tick-borne diseases. There are two known diseases carried by ticks in this area, Lyme's disease and relapsing fever. Not all ticks carry these diseases, though. If you are bitten by a tick and later experience flu-like symptoms, contact your doctor and mention that you had a tick bite. If you are diagnosed as having Lyme disease or relapsing fever and you believe you got it in Yosemite, have your doctor contact the park sanitarian at 209-379-1033. Park sanitarian. I didn't even know that was a position. Yeah, I don't. Um, what would they tell them? Do you think that they, you wouldn't know by just saying? Maybe they just want to track like locations of where people are getting Lyme disease, so they can kind of. Oh, okay. Hikers, like someone in this area got Lyme disease. Oh, so or, the parks track. I thought like maybe they'd be giving the doctor some information. I'm like, what are they going to tell them? No, that? I think okay. I bet it's, it's more the other of, way around, so they can track it. But okay. I mean, I really don't know. That's just what I would assume. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Well, uh, let's talk about Giardia now. Uh, it's an intestinal disease caused by Giardia lamblia, a waterborne protozoan. Uh, protozoan. Uh, Giardia is carried by humans and some domestic and wild animals. All water or melted snow should be treated by boiling using an iodine or by using an iodine-based purifier or a Giardia-rated water filter. Uh, associated symptoms include chronic diarrhea, abdominal cramps, bloating, fatigue, and loss of weight. This is what happened when I met Mike the first time. Those are the same <laughs> side effects. Uh, treatment by a physician is necessary to kill the organism. So tips for hiking safely in Yosemite National Park. Uh, if it's your responsibility, be aware of potential dangers and to take steps necessary to minimize the chance that you'll become lost or injured. This is at every park. So you let somebody know your itinerary and instruct them to contact emergency personnel if you are overdue. Stay on the trail in addition to causing severe erosion and damage to fragile habitat. Hiking off the trail increases the potential for injury or becoming lost. That is all. 100% the fact. Yes. They're going to go on trails first when they look for you. Uh, and if you're not there, that's when they're going to eventually get out to doing the other stuff. 
Uh, when hiking with a group, keep track of each other and wait at all trail junctions. Always carry extra food, water, rain gear, and warm clothing in case you have to spend the night unexpectedly. If you become ill or injured on the trail and are unable to hike, send someone in your party or a passing hiker for help. Write down and give the messenger your exact location, age, gender, height, weight, and a description of your illness, injury, in order to ensure the appropriate emergency response. If you become disorientated or lost, (laughs) (laughs) attempt to fix your location using a map, compass, and landmarks. If you are unable to locate the trail, stay put. Use a mirror or reflective object to signal for any help. Uh, any signal done in three times is a series. Uh, a series is a universal distress call. That's the same thing uh, they always talk about. If you're on like a stranded island, like three fires on the yeah. beach, like anything in threes. Yeah. So I mean, if you listen to all of our episodes, you'll notice a lot of these tips were probably not followed by the people that have gone missing. So they're very good tips um, to keep you alive and safe. Yeah, I think that's normally the the situation is they're doing something like that or yeah, just happened to one time. <clears throat> So, All right, so let's talk about David. Yeah, so this cold case uh, episode. So we, we got three cases here of people that are still missing, uh, officially listed as cold cases with the National Park Service. And by themselves, we always say this, there's not really enough information to do a full episode on. Um, though I actually found a lot of information on uh, David more than I thought I would. You probably could do a full episode on him. I mean, the reality is we could do a full episode on all these. They would just be short. Yes. Which, but, um, you know now, now that I said it, people would be like, oh, dude, do those. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to cheat the listeners by, you know, giving them a short episode. So, first... Uh, yeah, start talking slower. <laughs> first case is... <laughs> you're listening to NPR. No. Uh, first case is David Paul Morrison... He went missing on May 25th of 1998. Uh, his remains have not been found. He was a male, age 28. He was five foot nine. He was in the 150 to 160 pound range. He had brown hair, brown eyes. Last clothing or gear you've seen in, uh, gray, long-sleeved University of California Santa Cruz sweatshirt, a white T-shirt, black sweatpants, or faded navy blue shorts, Nike Air sneakers, uh, and a black, green, and yellow Osprey fanny pack. He um, was a described as a fit and healthy, uh, you know, young adult, no real medical issues, other than he had a birthmark on his right earlobe and a scar on the bridge of his nose. So those would be maybe some identifying features if you were out on the trail and someone said to keep an eye out for him. Um. He was also described as a very experienced hiker, but did not appear to be equipped for overnight camping, according to hikers that had last seen him. And weather was wet and cold at the time of his disappearance. I always call into question when someone's described as an experienced hiker, but then you find out they completely didn't bring the proper gear with them for their hike. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of contradicting the statement, but... From what I was able to find research-wise, he was an experienced hiker. So, kick off the timeline here. He had been staying with his girlfriend, according to officials, and he had heard about the half-dome climb from friends and wanted to try it out during the holiday weekend. So, on May 24th of 1998, this was a Sunday uh, in the evening, 
I believe him and his girlfriend had spent the night at Curry Village. Now, I don't, Joe will probably pull, maybe pull a map up of Yosemite. We can go through these locations because. That's a good idea, Mike. <clears throat> and a lot of these hikes, um, I, we were on when we went and hiked in Yosemite. So some of them are very, like the trail that he went missing on is a very heavily trafficked trail, the one to the chains. I mean, everyone in Yosemite wants to do the, the chain hike up Half Dome. So it's not like he wasn't running into people. I mean, I don't know how busy it was back in 1998, but even when we were there with all the forest fire smoke during COVID, it was still, um, you know, very packed. That trail was busy. So it is now May 25th of 1998, which is a Monday, 5.30 a.m., he left his tent cabin at Curry Village for Half Dome early without a parka, hiking boots, or any other protection from rain or snow. Uh, wearing tennis shoes, pants, a sweatshirt, and a small pack, he walked in rain along the mist trail past Vernal in Nevada Falls and through Little Yosemite Valley. Uh, the rain had started to turn to snow at higher elevations on the approach to Half Dome. So... Joe is pulling up um, this now. If, I don't know if you could find Little Yosemite Valley, if that's easy to find. Uh, well, I'll type it in, see what they say. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> little Caesars. All right there, Little Whoa. <laughs> there we go. So, oh, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't even in the National Park. Jeez. So this is generally where, so he went past Vernal Falls, Nevada Falls, and he um, was last seen in Little Yosemite Valley, which is on the way to the Half Dome chain hike. Okay. So. Where's Half Dome? Where's the chain hike start on this side? I'm guessing he went Vernal, Nevada. I believe so. I think. Yeah, I think it's um, right up, like, yeah, right up there. I think that's where it... I wonder if you can see it on here. You might be able to. Isn't it just right up this slope? I'm pretty sure it is, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, <clears throat> it is now uh same day, the uh, 25th. And it's now 6.30 a.m. There were media reports that this was actually 7.15, but I found a search and rescue operations report that stated 6.30, so that's the time I'm going to go with. This would be the last time he was seen by anyone. So he was last seen by other hikers in the Little Yosemite Valley uh, while he was en route to Half Dome. Uh, according to the operations report from the SAR team, a storm had dropped rain and snow that Monday um, and visibility was low. <clears throat> so same day now, it's the afternoon when he didn't return from his hike up Half Dome, his girlfriend reported him missing uh, to the authorities. So let's move forward a day now. It's May 26th of 1998. It's a Tuesday. This is when the search um, kind of started. So a team of 75 searchers, were looking for David, assisted by five dog teams and a California Highway Patrol helicopter. They were focused primarily on the Half Dome Trail. Uh, unfortunately, though, the Park Service search was hampered by poor weather and um, because the staff 
were already busy rescuing two climbers who were stuck near the top of El Capitan. So they already had their hands full with other <laughs> search and rescue operations Jeez. that day. Yeah, I mean, so many people go to this park. I, I can't imagine yeah. that they're not doing work all the time. Yeah. So uh, let's. it's now May 27th of 1998, Wednesday. This is when the search really kicked into gear. So... Um, the search had now expanded to include trails other than the Half Dome Trail and the drainages leading away from the Half Dome area. Uh, rescue team managers said there's an increasing probability that David is unable to move about or respond to searchers' calls. So it's now May 28th of 1998, so this, is, this would be Thursday. The search again expanded to even more areas outside of the primary Half Dome Trails, Teams from the previous day's search were assigned to the field first. Now, this on Thursday, they actually got a break in the search form. Search crews discovered six tracks on Thursday that matched the treads um, of the types of shoes worn by David. Uh, the tracks were found at the base of the Half Dome Ascent, which, like we said, is a sharp granite slope, usually climbed um, with the help of cables. But park managers had not yet raised the cables because of the snow on the trail. David would have needed special equipment and mountaineering experience to have attempted the climb without the cables. And searchers weren't even sure what direction he went. The footprints appeared to leave the trail. According to um, someone in the park service, he was known to, this was a quote, he was known to take chances and leave the trail, Yosemite spokeswoman Christine Cowles said. He may have fallen or injured himself and couldn't respond to the helicopters. It's unusual that we could find no trace of him at all. And to make it even more difficult for the searchers, investigators were still trying to determine whether the tracks were even made during the time Morrison was thought to be hiking in the area. Um, they wanted to know that because the search would then focus on the area between Mount Bo uh, Broderick and Lost Lake in Little Yosemite Valley. But unfortunately, the, the theme through this search was weather and heavy rain and snow hampered the search again later in the day and high winds also uh, hampered the ability to get helicopters in the air. So, Did you do this hike up to Half Dome? No, we didn't, we didn't go all the way up. Okay. We went, we hiked up to the area where... Did your feet hurt? <laughs> was it too hard? We hiked up to the spot <laughs> that um, that guy started his free climb from. Oh, okay. That was amazing. To you I, can walk, like, see where he actually walk right up to the bottom, and then just stare up, and then like this guy climbed to the top of that with nothing but his hands and feet. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> no, Never. thank you. Just no. I it if you, I'm not if you ever. I mean, I'm a little insane. Yeah, I'm not clinically insane. Yeah. <laughs> If you ever do get to Yosemite, though, I recommend everyone finding the spot where he started his free climb. Just Alex, because Alex was, Honnold, right? That's who you're talking yeah, about? Yeah. Just because there was a documentary on it, which was super cool if you get a chance to watch his documentary. Yeah. But it's such an amazing feat of human ability that someone was able to do that in the t you know pretty quickly, too. So I recommend that. Kind of off topic here, but... No, it's, it's, it's good information. <clears throat> so... It is now May 29th, 1998, which is Friday. Again, weather was hampering the search as four inches of fresh snow had fallen. 
Here is a bit of a report that I found from the China Lake Mountain Rescue Group. So this is right out of the report. Uh, they wrote, our assignment was to fly to the shoulder of Half Dome and search the slopes coming off the shoulder. The helicopters came in to transfer people, but at 11.30, the clouds had rolled in and made landing on the shoulder of the Half Dome unfeasible. We started hiking up Half Dome Trail at 12. Uh, at around 12.30, we got word that a dog handler had fallen around the shoulder of Half Dome and strained his back. A couple of the searchers hiked to his location to assess the situation. We all regrouped just below the shoulder of Half Dome around 1,300 hours and waited to see if a carryout would be required or if a helicopter or horse would be made available for the evacuation. By 1,400 hours, it was decided that we would continue with our search assignment and that two rangers and the four members of the uh, Chappie would assist uh, the dog uh, handler to the landing zone for the helicopter evacuation. I just kind of glazed over what you just said. <laughs> yeah. Just mumble it away. Uh, two <laughs> other dog handlers and their dogs searched down the slopes ahead of us, and after they gave the okay, we began our search down, down the slope. The four observers from the China Lake Mountain Rescue Group flew most of Thursday, but only two were used on Friday. The air search covered as far as Clouds Rest on the east and Mount Star King on the south and Tenya Canyon uh, on the north and the Illuette Valley, uh, Valley on the west. The searching was done as low and as slow as the winds would allow. Each of the four flew two one-hour flights on Thursday. The search on Friday was to examine specific areas where clues had been reported. Consequently, only two flights were undertaken so two of the observers from the group stood by the whole day. For Saturday, Yosemite wanted technical people to search a few drainages in the Half Dome area. Yosemite asked if our team could stay on Saturday to assist on these assignments. So we said yes. We ate dinner, showered, and we got our tent assignment for the night. I wanted to read that just because it's kind of interesting hearing like the verbatim report from searchers on, yeah. uh, you know, what's going on so are, are you ready to hear how to say that word according to google <laughs> sure to hatchapi to hatchapi there you go yep. well that was way you just, off you just lost samsonite you just lost <laughs> i was i knew it started with an s <laughs> yeah we well all, we, we lost at least four people yeah of that. it's all your fault probably gain four though that don't care yeah <laughs> so uh okay it's may 30th 1998 saturday Official said uh, Saturday that 12 searchers with technical climbing and repelling, repelling experience, two dog teams, and instant investigators joined the hunt for David. Continued periodic aerial surveys and foot patrols were also planned. So sadly, by May 31st of 1998, which Sunday, they started scaling the search down. So the search for David, who, like we said, was last seen uh, Monday, was scaled down according to the Park Service. <clears throat> Park officials say they are changing their strategy to a more technical and focused search for David Morrison, they said. In all, more than 100 searchers aided by four rescue dogs and four helicopters were unable to locate David. Um, National Park Service spokesman Kendall Thompson said Morrison's identity was determined from the belongings he left at Curry Village where he had spent the evening. So... Just got a couple quotes here from family before we get into quick theories on this one. His mother, Susan Quinn, said, He had a little fanny pack in it, um, was his credit card. We always thought someday one of those things would be found. 
I guess in my heart, I thought someday that is going to show up. Somebody is going to find it, but then they would have to know to turn it in, and that is the difference. So um, one final bit. Uh, Law enforcement determined that foul play was not um, an issue in this disappearance. Um, Nothing that they found indicated that there was any foul play. So I don't quickly won't dwell on theories just to keep this moving. But Joe, what's your initial reaction? Um, I don't know. He just went, um, I would say, have to say my one guess might be he purposefully fled. I, I, he is a heavily populated area went on known trails. Yeah. I, I mean, unless he wandered off and they just simply couldn't find him. I think, yeah, I think he was unprepared for the weather. And yeah, it's that's not, true. the weather sounded just miserable that whole week. And um I think maybe he maybe he got lost. Remember it said it was low visibility and he, he didn't it didn't sound like he had any kind of map or compass or anything with him. Okay. So yeah. perhaps in the low visibility he got turned around and walked out of the search area and just never was found and you know, we always talk about uh, the PIO from Joshua Tree talking to us about how things can get moved around in heavy rains and snows and melt. And yeah, there's bears in the park, mountain lions. There's a chance that maybe he succumbed to the elements, and then that winter, that spring, his remains were moved, and then you know bears and mountain lions are gonna sure, you know. So I I think it was just he was unprepared. the The weather was terrible. He probably got lost in the low visibility and uh, succumbed to the, the, you know. Just the elements? The elements. I'm going to go with you on that one. I yeah. mean, that's the only thing that makes sense. That, that'd be my, my best guess. It, I mean, I, it's still in such a populated park. They haven't found anything from him in, you know. Yeah, it, it sounded like he's not going to be bushwhacking too far. No. So... Unfortunately, this case is uh, still open to this day, so maybe someday they'll get closure. So, um, second case of our cold case episode is Walter Reinhard. He went missing on September nineteenth of two thousand two. A lot of people, a lot of articles I read stated September thirtieth, two thousand two. That was when his car was found. He was last seen or he was last heard from on the 19th. That's when he started his hike. So um, You need to do more research. You clearly don't <laughs> do enough when you're correcting new sources. Yeah. So his remains have not been found. He was male, age 66, uh, 5 foot 8, 145 pounds. This guy this guy was prepared. At least like he knew his he knew his stuff. Oh, it was an ex-marine. Okay. Um we'll get into that. So possible uh, gear he was in while well, he had grain, brown hair, which was thinning. Um, he was possibly wearing a gray felt alpine hat, as in the image of Reinhardt, and leather hiking boots, and a large fanny pack. According to his family, he was in terrific physical shape. He had no medical issues and was not on any medications. He was a retired Marine that lived in Arizona. He was a member of the Elite Force Reconnaissance Squad and served two combat tours in Vietnam. Jeez. So very highly trained in survival. Um, and like we, he hiked, very experienced in the wilderness. He hiked up to 24 miles twice a week. So he just always a Marine. Yeah. So 
Um, it's safe to say, you know, he was in terrific physical shape. He had a lot of survival training from his time in the Marines, in the Forest Reconnaissance Squad. And um, I don't know that if he had experience in this location, but he hiked a lot. I mean, 24 miles twice a week is more than probably... 99.9% of the people yeah. in the country ever do. Yeah, it's more so, than it's more than I do. Yeah. So, our timeline here starts in August of 2002. So, Walter uh, drove to Montana from Arizona um, on the start of a extended vacation. He drove to Bend, Oregon, where he met up with his hiking club. Oregon. Oregon. You said Oregon. Oregon. Yeah. yeah yelled, that's, Oregon. Early, that's early getting yelled at. Yeah. <clears throat> Oregon. So uh, September 16th, 2002, Reinhard dropped off a friend at the airport in Bend, then got in his car and headed south to the next stop on his vacation, Yosemite National Park. On September 17th of 2002, according to family, he had arrived at Yosemite on the 17th at 4.11 p.m. and filled up his car. The family knows this because he... Um, his one of his cousins was tracking his credit card purchases after he went missing. His final planned stop on his vacation after he was done in Yosemite was Las Vegas. So it is now September 19th of 2002, which is a Thursday, about 9 a.m. He was last seen in Yosemite National Park and was believed to have started a hike at the White Wolf Trailhead. A park employee who was closing down the lodge in the White Wolf area is believed to be the last person who's seen him at about 9 a.m. Reinhardt said, uh, Kevin Reinhardt said, he remembered a fellow with a German alpine hat asking directions that morning to a lake a few miles up the trail. This was also the last day that his credit card was used uh, where he used it to check into a motel in the area. Did it say where he was intending to go or just the White Wolf trailhead? And we're not even sure that's that's just where he was last seen, and they believed that's where he was going to start his hike. All right. Well, I'll go White Wolf to here and just see this. At least get the start of it. Yeah. See what this looks like. What kind of elevation gain? This one's 15 miles if you're going to Smith Meadow. Yeah. 2,171 feet. So it's, it's Over not, 15 miles, that's not bad. Yeah, it's, that's no joke. Uh, and if you're starting that at night, don't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that... <laughs> it's not crazy at least when it starts let's see where it gets the rest of that 1200 or 1700 it must just be like it's pretty you, flat in the beginning look at you're right at the end yeah first two miles is only 53 feet for those listening joe has all trails up and we're we're kind of tracing the the trail that he would have hiked and if anyone works at all trails and is listening we really would love if you sponsored the show <laughs> they're like why would we do it you're doing it for us all the time yeah but we'll talk about it more. We'll, bl- promote we'll start it. blurring you out. Nobody and pay. Nobody it. pay for all trails plus until we un- get until we get sponsored. <laughs> you can use it for fr- no. Don't even use it for free. Have like one person in your group download it, and then when, when they sponsor <laughs> us, then all of you download it all at once. So uh, what that? So did it lie about the? Di- oh, it's okay. This is weird. It's an out and back. Where did the? Did I read the elevation wrong? No, I. How. See, this is uh, don't don't use all trails. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm just gonna make you. <clears throat> that's weird. It only did 300 feet there. 
And if it's an out and back, it should be 300 feet back the other way. And that does. It show, it, I don't know about uh, math. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm guessing 300 and 300 don't make 2,170. No, I don't know. Okay. So uh, it's now yeah, it's now September 30th, 2002, which is a Monday. Park rangers discovered Reinhardt's vehicle abandoned at the trailhead. Um, helicopters, bloodhounds, boats, and a big crew of park employees began to search for Reinhardt, but no indications of his whereabouts were found. Authorities at the time did not suspect foul play, but obviously believed that something went wrong on his hike. Park officials have said they had no reason to suspect foul play, said Deb Schweizer, a park ranger. Instead, they figure Reinhardt, a veteran hiker, decided to venture alone into the woods and something went wrong. So it's now October 1st of 2002, which is a Tuesday. Rescue crews expanded their search in Yosemite National Park. They now had five dog teams, two helicopters, and dozens of people on the ground searching in the rugged area east of Yosemite Lodge. Sadly, though, several days later, the uh, search was called off. So the active search was called off last week, according to the Park Service. Park employees and volunteers searched all the trails within a 150-mile radius of the White Wolf Trailhead. They have calculated that there is a 97% probability that he is nowhere they've looked so far. Uh, now, this is a quote. It's a wilderness area. It's extremely rugged, and there are some cliffs that couldn't be searched for safety reasons, Schweizer said. We're appealing to anyone who might have bumped into him to let us know where he was, um, where he was headed. What we're needing right now are some leads. So the Suns and a large number of park employees volunteering their time had continued to look for him after the search was concluded. Um, they also were joined by a team of 28 Marines from the Mountain Warfare Training Center in Bridgeport, California, uh, one of his sons, says, uh, sons said. He was quoted, we'll stay here until they leave. He said, hopefully by then we'll have some resolution to this. So that's kind of cool. The Marines came out to help search for, you know, one of their fellow veterans. Absolutely. And probably doubled as a training exercise for them as well. Because that's some pretty rugged terrain. Um, so before we wrap up this case, I've just got some quotes from family and officials at the time in 2002. So Reinhardt's sons long ago joined the hunt and haven't given up. Um, they said with each passing day, the possibility their father might be found alive slips further off the charts. Even so, they're pressing ahead, hoping that somehow um, he found shelter from the three storms that have poured rain, hail, and snow on the park in recent weeks and somehow found food and water. They, were, they went on to quote, we know it's slight, we know we're maybe grasping at straws, but we're hoping, said Kevin Reinhardt, who's age 32 at the time, um, it's not probable, but it's possible that he's alive. It would be a miracle, but that's what we're hoping for. The sons would go on to say they suspect that his father, <clears throat> who was expected to depart the park that day, might have decided to stay longer once he hit the trail. He might have opted for a longer route, perhaps to distant Smith Peak, which has some stunning views of uh, the park. Reinhardt's cousin said, Walter loves to hike, but he would not wander off trails in an area with which he was not familiar, and they figured he would drive across the park en route to his final vacation stop, Las Vegas. His cousin continued, As a Marine with two tours of duty and training in survival, 
He would come out on his fingernails. That is, if he could. We come back to the original thought, was there any foul play involved? Park rangers say they see no indication of that. In fact, search crews see no indication of Reinhardt. We really don't know what went on, but we know something must be seriously wrong. So, um, what's your quick gut reaction to this case? I'd say quick gut reactions. He went off trail and something happened or he got lost. My guess, yeah, I mean, this guy was experienced. I'm guessing he went off trail and an accident happened. Yeah. And he just... You know, being how fit he was and experienced, he probably covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Um, if he was traveling light. And I'm guessing, yeah, you went off trail and slipped, fell, maybe broke something, or ended up in a ravine or, you know, a canyon yeah. somewhere where they couldn't search. And sadly, that's probably what happened to him. The weather, it sounds like all these cases, the weather's been terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's the most plausible. And, um, yeah, I mean, we didn't do an off the deep end for the last one. So the off the deep end in this one, I just think of like movies like Shooter. Oh yeah, like he just disappears himself because he's a marine and he's actually like in some, like running from somebody or like some he was in some secret mission in Nam and now he has to hide. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's off the deep end. He's like a yeah. Jason Bourne type. Exactly. Yeah, and like all of his crew keep disappearing, and he's got he's going to solve what happened, but he's got to yeah. fake his own disappearance until he can. Yeah. That's my off the deep end. Off the deep end. I like yeah. that. I think uh, grounded in reality theory is, yeah, off trail. Um, maybe because of how, his... How old was he again? 66. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's not old. He's not old, but he's getting older. And, I mean, I'm almost 40, and I still like kind of have, like, denial about what <laughs> yeah. I can't do anymore with my body. So I can't yeah. imagine if you're a Marine and you're doing that. I'm sure he was in phenomenal shape but he's obviously not doing what he could maybe he's trying things he shouldn't have and got hurt yeah i think that's probably the most likely scenario because i feel like that would happen to me even though i'm i try not to do dumb things but i could imagine as i get older and can't do some of the things i'll be like but i I used to be able to climb this mountain well yeah and factor in then the weather yes sounds like the weather was terrible and i can easily see something happening where he went off trail slipped and got injured the one thing that i can't square with is being that he's so experienced in survival and everything and the the statements from the family, it sounds like him going off trail wouldn't be, wouldn't be something. That's, he that's done. where I'm with you on accent. Cause even if the weather's bad, he wouldn't know how to deal with it. Yeah. He'd probably turn around if like, well, he, I'm even saying if he had to make like a lean to, he'd get a shelter yeah. going. He like knows how to figure that out. Yeah. I mean, just like if we were stuck in a situation, we'd figure it out. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the one thing that doesn't jive with me, but I think the only theory is that, yeah, some some kind of serious injury happened off trail. So, sadly, again, this I'm, is the second one. cold case. Um, it's still open, according to the Park Service, and uh, maybe the family will get closure, um, you know, someday. So, uh, third case, George Pensa. He uh, went missing on June 17th of 2011. His remains have not been found. Now, this, I found some weird stuff online when I was searching for information on this case. I found several unverified claims that his body had been recovered, but for some reason the Park Service was not publicizing it. Um, These were on different forums, and some of the people were other 
members on the forum were giving weight to this claim that these people were former search and rescue, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it was just free form people on the internet saying stuff. Yeah. Okay. I'm just, well, I'm, I'm not, ma- I'm not no. saying don't tell it, but I just want to ground my, th- yeah, how I ingest this information. The national me. park service still has them listed as a cold case on their website as of yesterday. So according to them, he still is missing. And okay. I can't think of a reason why they would recover his body and not public, you know, publicly state that. Yeah, not tell everybody. Yeah, it makes no sense to me. But I just wanted to state that if people on their own go searching for information on this, you may come across some forums where people are claiming that he's already his remains have been found. So according to the officials, they have not. Um, he was age thirty at the time, five foot ten. He was two thirty to two hundred forty pounds. He had brown hair, blue eyes, clothing. He was last seen in. He was carrying a cloth bag with little food and water. He had gray sweatpants with white stripes, black T-shirt, or a tank top with a DNB logo across the chest. And he had sneakers or tennis shoes. DNB or D- Dave D- Matthews bat or no. drums and bass? D and D and ampersand B. Oh, okay. Yeah, whatever. I don't know what. I just thought of drums and bass. Drums and bass. <laughs> <laughs> I love that music. Um, and, yeah, he was in uh, tennis shoes that were gray slash bluish color. <clears throat> Other than that, we don't have a lot of information on his personality, medical issues. He was from Hawthorne, California, so we do know that. This, out of the three cases, is the thinnest in information that I could find, unfortunately. But uh, So the timeline for his disappearance starts June 17th of 2011, which is Friday. George went hiking at the Upper Yosemite Falls with his church group of 80 people, of which 20 people were walking the Upper Yosemite Fall Trail that day. Holy cow. Let me shift the camera here because yeah. that is a gnarly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's super gnarly. It's, um, we did that trail. You did? Yeah, it's not as bad as this makes it look. I don't know. It it looks pretty switchbacky. <laughs> yeah. You're doing uh, 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 2,800 feet and three miles? Uh, is it a loop? Uh, well, it appears to, no, it's out no, and back. out and back. So maybe you we did, did a different one then. We did a different one. I, this is a 4.6 miles, 3000 feet. Yeah. That's I would have pretty, that. that's, that's pretty gnarly. You're especially, like, it's not that, but I'm like, that's even pretty bad. Especially in the, the forest fire smoke. Yeah. That would be killer. No. So we, uh, we did one that was a loop. Yeah. You're a, you're a liar. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, like we said, he was hiking with about 20 people from his uh, church group. The group separated at the top with the hikers going back down at their own pace. Uh, everyone in the group thought that George most likely fell behind, but they assumed that he'd be back at the Yosemite Valley floor. Sadly, he was never seen after this point again. So he made it up to the top and then fell behind when everyone was starting to come down. And again, <clears throat> I don't know why, you know, group of 20 people, like that's a lot of people don't split up. Like I, I wouldn't, if I, that were me, I wouldn't let anyone fall behind. Like maybe take one of the more conditioned experienced hikers and put them at the end of the group line of people, you know? Yeah. You can very easily spare people. You'll find somebody in that group who's willing to go at whatever pace he's going at. Yeah. And just stick him at the back and be like, Hey, can you just bring up the caboose of this train of people and make sure no one 
gets behind you. Yeah, and make sure no one disappears. I mean, that's what I would do, especially if I had a bunch of inexperienced people hiking with me, but that's just me. Um, so That's why you're the host of the show, to be honest. <laughs> so like we said, his friends assumed that he'd be back in the valley, but he wasn't never seen again. And for once, weather conditions at this time were uh, described as mild with overnight temperatures in the upper 40s. So um, definitely weather you could survive in if it's not raining or snowing. Yeah. Upper 40s is cold, but if you're not wet, it's survivable. Um, So it's now, let's see, it's June 17th still. It's Friday, 9 p.m. This is when George was reported missing by his friends he was hiking with earlier in the day. A limited search actually was started that evening um, that he was reported missing, but the full, f- a full-scale search and rescue operation didn't get initiated until the next day, June 18th, uh, which is a Saturday morning. So around 105 search and rescue personnel from around the state were deployed. Helicopters and six search dogs, including Yosemite National Park Search and Rescue, Inyo County, Mono County, Mariposa County, Marin County, Fresno County, uh, China Lake, Los Angeles County, Nevada County, Sierra, Sierra Madre, uh, Yosemite Search and Rescue Dog Teams, Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks, and California Explorer Search and Rescue. So they got a ton of people out there in less than 24 hours, which is pretty impressive. I'm trying to find pictures <clears throat> from around the time frame. Yeah. So, sadly, so like we said, the search really kicked off in full on June 18th, and sadly, it was scaled back June 23rd of 2011. So, at that time, search efforts transitioned to a limited, continuous search um, after over a week of intensive searching. And park rangers never found any clues to George's whereabouts, and there's not a ton of information on his disappearance out there. So, this one is another June twenty eighth. When did you say they stopped the search? Uh, June twenty third. They scaled it back. That's August. I passed. <coughs> I wish they had the dates on the. I guess I can scroll through them once I get another. Oh, there's dates. There's June twelfth. Well, there was. I was going in and out. So he. What's the day he went missing on? Um. Let's see here. Seventeenth. Seventeenth. Right, so there's a gap. So this is the twelfth. Couple days after that, it's June twenty second. Yeah, the first one since. So then. search was still going on for this picture, but you can see the weather's great. Weather's great. I mean, I guess it could have rained a few days ago, but this so, is, this is pictures from this trail. Yeah. Now we're in June twenty eighth. So man, this one is more puzzling to me than the first two, just because it seems like the weather was fine in the group size and a large group, and <coughs> it's an out and back trail. It's not a loop. And if you go back to the map, Tell me. Um, if you go off trail on this, it, there's not a, you know. You can't go far. <laughs> no, because you've got, look at the terrain on both sides of this. Joe is pulling up the map for those listening. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, you're not going off the trail here. It's, oh, I got to get the 3D one going. Here we go. Here we go. Yes. So, yeah, you've That's got... That's gnarly. There's nowhere to go. You've got canyon you walls to your left, and you've got steep drop to your right if you're going up. <laughs> so... Yeah. What the heck happened? Holy cow. 
Um, I'm going to go back to just watching it. Yeah. So I, this one's puzzling because you think searchers, if he had fallen, whoa, (laughs) okay. (laughs) The only thing I can think of is like, where would you go off trail here? Yeah, you, well, you fall, you fall. Yeah. I mean, maybe he went to go sit somewhere, misstepped, went to go look at something and just a slip. And if no one was there with to see where he went, like, but you think like the only opportunity to go off trail would maybe be up there. Upper Yosemite Falls. So yeah, up at the top maybe. Um, but this trail has no real opportunities to go off trail. If you did, you fall. So yeah, I guess you could like keep going this. Well, there's there's more trails like this goes this way. You can go up Eagle Peak Creek. Yeah, so I guess there is an, a chance that he, um, maybe he got turned around on the way down and went right instead of left and like try going down this side no if you go so like see where the it bends a backup kind of near that blue dot so instead of curving around the corner and going back oh. down he goes right well look at here's a trail there's a trail yeah so okay yeah you always have to reverse your entire route so maybe back. he oh could have went, went ex- deeper <clears throat> yeah or went in the valley like north see but even then in this situation you know you have to go down yeah like you can, well, you can see it, and you know, like, I got to go down. Even if you don't know where you are, you're like, it's that way. I mean, we say that as people that have hiked a lot. Well, we that, are experts. Yeah. <laughs> but that might not be something that everyone might put together. Uh, if they're, I mean, if he just... Maybe if he, he just saw 20 <laughs> to 80 other people yeah, right. go the right way. I mean, he just got done going up a pretty gnarly trail okay he's probably exhausted maybe he's a little dehydrated maybe he's not clear that is a thousand feet a mile basically almost that's tough yeah (laughs) when you're like it's not that hard i'm like like, well i don't know you're a liar yeah (laughs) so he's probably if he made it to the top and from my research um it said the group separated at the top so we can assume he made it to the top he's probably exhausted He's probably dehydrated. Pull up Yosemite Falls. Maybe he was dehydrated enough that he that caused him to get turned around, and he he walked down one of those other trails. But again, those trails are, the, those trail splits are probably marked that on that trail. Joe's pulling up Yosemite. I want to try and pull from the top. You know, Yosemite Falls top. Ah. Let's see if we can get a top. Okay. There's yeah, I mean there's it's, some it's yeah, there's a couple. I'm just trying to like I wish like no one's gonna take a picture of what I want to see. I know, right? Looking towards we'll, the we'll trail. We'll just have to do it. Yeah, we'll have to just yeah, I guess we just gotta go there. I mean, here's some of it. I mean, look at this. He I mean you can fall off this. But you think like searchers probably searched every inch of the the valley floor under that Unless trail. Unless he got caught, you know. Yeah. He fell and was stuck. He fell in the waterfall. I don't know. Even then, like, I don't know. That is the weirdest one. Yeah. That is just, I'm gone now. I think, I think he was dehydrated enough that he was starting to get impaired and he made a poor decision, navigation decision. 
I uh, I like when you get stuck on a theory and everything always is like he's dehydrated. Let's just say that no matter what, that's well, what happened. I, can't I, think I, of, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what else could be? Uh, I I think there was an I, there was an accident. No one saw it. Yeah, maybe that's what I think. And he just they just couldn't find the remains. Yeah, probably because he's dehydrated, <laughs> just like you said. Yeah, I um yeah I I don't know. That's a crazy. That's so many people. Yeah. This is what's crazy. So we always talk about like the best thing you can do. And then there'll be instantly a story be like, well, he did have all the things. Yeah, and 20 people with yeah, him. Yeah, he, he had like 80 people plus families knew the itinerary. It was a short yeah. day. They're all together except for one second and gone. Yeah. Just out. Yeah. So that out of the three, that one is the one I'm having the hardest time coming up with a theory. That's why I just said dehydration, poor, impaired judgment. I'm I'm with you on that one. Uh, I, that's that's such a gnarly. Yeah. Yeah, and there's and there's so many people in there. Yeah, Yosemite so Village is right in the valley below it. I mean, there's like <clears throat> thousands of people there. Yeah. So like we keep saying, always oh, with eighty people, he's with a thousand people probably. Yeah. Just eighty of them he knows. Yeah, and I mean June is beginning to be you know the tourist time for Yosemite. Did he have like an enemy in his church group that like <laughs> right. took the opportunity? I'm like, I'm kind of like, it's a little jokingly, but like kind of a little serious too. Like, yeah, this is like too gnarly to not be foul play. Yeah. That's going to be my off the deep end. There's like some rift in the church group and he was behind and someone offered to stay with him or with just that, knew and like hung back and that many people in the group. Maybe he wasn't even in on the hike and they thought he was. I'm assuming that they would have questioned yeah. the church group people who somebody would be like, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah. Or they, or that's the off the deep end. None of them liked him. Yeah. The whole church group's in on it. I don't know. This one is it's very not. puzzling because the weather was good. Lots of people. Um, obviously, we don't know his experience level, but um, I don't even think it matters Yeah, for this because he was around so many people. It's why the heck is he gone? And they searched a 150-mile radius. I believe. Did I say it? Was that this case? Um, or that might have been the last case. Mm. Not so. That was not this one. Yep, you're a liar. <laughs> I can't do, do more research, Mike. Um, we can, we can be safe to assume with the massive search and rescue operation they had out there, they probably did search all the surrounding trails that connected I, to this. Yeah. Um, and it had his picture out there for everyone to see, you know, the thousands of other people yeah. that were out there. Like, that's what's wild. That is in, that's probably one of the most populated areas that we've done a case so far where someone's gone missing. Yeah. Like, because this is one of the most popular parks at with the most, like, the best weather yep. based on those pictures we are seeing uh, in the most, one of the more popular areas yeah. of that park. Yeah. This is a puzzling one. I, so. Yeah. I, don't, I got nothing. I got nothing else. Yeah, I, I, that's that's all of my theories plus the off the deep end one. So. Yeah. Well, um, that was that was a good three cases. <laughs> like it, like it. Well, thanks again for tuning into our show. We appreciate all of you for listening and sharing locations unknown with your friends and family. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Oh, and YouTube, where you can find the videos of each episode. Also, if you'd like to support the show monetarily, please visit our website or Facebook store to buy some cool, cool, sweet swag. And subscribe, if you can, to our patron accounts on YouTube and on Apple subscriptions. And if you are a patron subscriber and you have a Spotify account, you can link them. Uh, so you can do the paid episodes on Spotify as well. 
Um, and you also get access to extra additional shows and we got to still schedule our zoom call. Yes. We got to do a, a trial to figure out how to work it with all this stuff. And then we'll, we'll schedule that one. But, uh, those are a lot of fun. Actually, it's just every patron's invited. This will be yeah. the biggest one we've sent an invite out to. And we just kind of open it up. We talk about anything yeah. like personal stuff, like what we love most about doing the show. It's just free for all. And we, it, they were always great when we were real early we only had like eight people on. Yeah. There's so much fun. I uh, got to learn a lot about some of our listeners. It was a good time. And if you don't want to actually join the call, you can still send in, um, you can still join and chat. You don't have to turn your camera on or even your audio on. You can just send questions in the chat. Yep. You don't have to be seen. We don't force that or anything. <laughs> yeah. So, and lastly, when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or simply taking a walk, always remember to leave no trace. Thanks. And we will see you all next time.